If you're focused on looking down and in, then you're not looking up and out. And as a leader, you should not be looking down and in. You should be looking up and out. What's our next move? What's our next strategy? What's the next market we're going to move into in the business world? Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. All right, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and we're coming off of Flip Hacking Live, and I've got a really incredible guest for you guys. One of kind of my heroes, somebody who has been writing content like crazy, books like coming out like madman, and something in my business that has changed our business. This book, Extreme Ownership, absolutely changed the way that we we run our company. Me and Nate, my COO. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Jocko. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Oh man, thanks for being here. This is a, this has been kind of a, a dream of mine, whether you believe it or not for a while, we, you know, about a year and a half ago, just picking up that book has really just kind of changed the way that we've thought about business, our employees, our staff, ourselves. It's really kind of opened my eyes to a lot. So it's uh, it's awesome. It's had a lot of fun with you at Flip Hacking Live, getting to know you a little bit better and uh, seeing you on stage and putting you in front of those 600 people was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. It's always great to see the, the impact that when, when people take extreme ownership of what's going on in their world, the impact that it has. So it, w- it was great to see that group of people and, and your team for sure. Yeah. You got an incredible podcast, the Jocko podcast. A lot of my listeners absolutely love it. When I, they heard that you were uh, coming to flip hacking live, uh, everybody was talking about it. There's clips that I, I'd say that YouTube clip that uh, from your podcast, that good, right? The quotes uh, is that's just incredible. I, I listened to that. In my uh, you met Ashley and her daughter, uh, Rye, they were there. She sent that out to our company one day and I said, oh man, this is it. We just, that's all we say in the company now. Things go wrong, things break, good. We got problems, good. We got somebody just quit, good. So really, really good stuff. So can, can you give some of the listeners who don't know who you are a little bit of background about you? Yeah, sure. I was born and raised in a small New England town. I joined the military when I was 18 years old and I spent 20 years in the military. Once I got done with the military, well, I retired after 20 years. And once I retired, I started working with companies and businesses and teams with their leadership. And then from that business, I ended up writing some books and I have a podcast that's pretty much my life right now. That's it. Podcast, military. So just the military. You were just a military guy. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I was in for 20 years and it was, it was a great, I had a great, great experiences. I was in the Navy. So that was uh, very, it was something that I wanted to do since I was a little kid. So it worked out really well for me. I, I think I was very lucky to get into a job that suited me well and that I really enjoyed. So after the military, you made this transition to kind of business. And so do you feel like the, the principles that you, that you learned in kind of the military and the SEAL teams trans, translated into business easily? Or was that something that was a little bit of a challenge for you when you left? No, it translated easily. The, the only hard part about it was I didn't know anything about the business world. And so if I would have known about the business world, I would have entered into it saying, hey, everyone, the principles that we used are the same principles that you need, but I, I wasn't sure what was going on in the civilian sector. So it took me about 20 minutes to figure out that everything that I had learned in the SEAL teams was directly ap- applicable to what's going on in any leadership organization, in any organization that requires leadership, which by the way is every organization. So, but as soon as I saw that, it just completely made sense and it was as clear, it was clear as I could possibly as it was as clear as I could possibly imagine that everything that we had learned, everything that I had taught while I was in the SEAL teams about leadership was directly applicable to every team in the world in any, on any kind of mission. So yeah, but it took me about 15 or 20 minutes to figure that out. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the, it, it, what I found so incredible about your book, Extreme Ownership, was just the way that you guys laid everything out. 
it, that the one, the one law of combat simple is really what you guys did. You kind of simplified the things that we try to make so hard in business and life and everything that we do and really just laid it out in this very easy to digest concept that, that Nate and I are, I, I think we're pretty simple guys that we can take this information and, and almost double our business by using those concepts and those the kind of laws of combat that you guys laid out. So it's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you think about what leadership is, essentially what leadership is, is communicating. That's what it is. You know, I, as a leader, I'm trying to communicate to my troops what it is we're trying to get done. If they have problems or questions, they need to communicate that back to me. So what we did, that law about keeping things simple, it applies to keeping simple plans. It applies to keeping your communication simple. And absolutely, one of the goals of the book and not just the book, but one of my goals in communicating to other human beings is to make things simple and clear so that they can understand them, so that they can actually take them and apply them. So that was, that was what we were trying to do, and it's what we always try and do. And I, I appreciate the fact that it seemed to have turned out that way, at least from your perspective. So that's good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so, so many people that I talk to have, have had the same experience from that. It's really just things that they've been able to pull out and realize that the, the comparison that you guys put to the military and the kind of uh, Ramadi experience that you guys had in that battle and everything, and the way that you laid it out makes it really like kind of fun and exciting to listen to and also have this application of business. So I thought the way that you guys creatively put that together was incredible because as a military guy myself, I can kind of r relate to some of that stuff, not necessarily being in that kind of dangerous situation, you know, flying a helicopter. I was never getting shot at on a regular basis, you know, really afraid for my life on a daily account. But I know those people and the kind of like the kind of commitment and leadership skills that they have that's inherent to them in that world. But even the people that I talk to that have never served and never done any of that stuff, that they can really take it and relate to it and use it in their business. It was, it's incredible. So for you guys that are listening, if you haven't read Extreme Ownership, if you haven't listened to it, it the way that that Jocko laid out this stuff is just, it's amazing. It's really, it, it's, it's an interesting concept of you guys kind of do this, uh, the, the wartime, what was going on, and then the concept, and then the application to business, which I thought was amazing the way that you guys laid it out. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it was easy for you to understand. Yeah. And if you guys are listening, I would recommend you listen to it because these guys read it and it's even better when they're reading it and you re can really feel it. Like I can feel the passion and like, your guys experience and you live through this and sharing it via audiobook was, was, it's, it was great. I just really love it. So what are those laws of combat? I think maybe that's the best way for us to go is kind of what are some of the stuff that you guys teach these leaders in, in the book? Well, the first law of combat is cover and move, which basically boils down to teamwork, working together. You know, in a, in a gunfight, it means one, one person is shooting at the enemy while the other person is moving, or one team is shooting at the enemy while the other team is moving. And that's just called cover and move. And what it is, is teamwork. And that's the number one law of combat, because if you have one, if you have more than one person, if you have two people or more, you have a team and you have to work together. And then if you have multiple teams, the teams have to work together. So if you're going to be in any city, and by the way, when you're out on the battlefield, in business or in life or in combat, when you work together with other people, when you work together with one other person or, or another team, you don't become twice as powerful. You become exponentially more powerful. So the, the, the idea of working together with, with other people, working together and supporting each other and being part of a team, that is the essential part of being in the SEAL teams. It's the essential part of winning in combat and it's the essential part of winning in life and in business. So that's why it's the number one law of combat is you have to have a team and you have to work together. The number two is simple and we, we already kind of talked about that, but you know, you've got to give people a simple mission that they can understand. They've got to know what it is that they're trying to accomplish. They've got to understand it. And the only way to do that is to make sure you keep it simple. And then you've got to, in order to do that, you've got to communicate it in a simple, clear, concise manner. And then the next one. So once, so now you've got two things, you've got a team and they understand what the mission is. Well, guess what? There's going to be problems. Things are going to go wrong. And when those things go wrong, they're all going to go wrong at the same time because of Murphy's law. And so now what we need to do is we need to prioritize and execute. Look at what our biggest problem is 
and focus on the biggest problem, get that problem solved before we move on to the next problem and so on down the line. And then finally, the last one is decentralized command. And what this means is, what it means is everyone on a team needs to lead. And that's what you want as a leader. You want every person on your team to lead. And in order to do that, they've got to understand what the mission is. They've got to understand what the end state is. They've got to understand, they've got to understand the parameters that they're allowed to work within and they've got to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And when you get that, now you have a team where without giving any direction whatsoever, every, everyone is moving in the right direction, making things happen that are moving you as a team towards the strategic goals. And so those are the four laws of combat. Yeah. So you, two of your guys from Echelon Front came out to work with our high level seven figure club on Monday of our week event. And we went through these laws of combat together and it was, it was interesting to see just like light bulbs going off in, in our crowd. These are all people that are making over seven figures in their business per year in profit. So these are big business owners. They're all flipping and wholesaling hundreds of houses a year. And to see the, them lay this out in one day and them just go, wow, this is, it's, it's exactly right. That cover and move concept of everybody's got a job and, and not to build silos. We talked about these silos, right? Like that's not my problem. That's, that's somebody else's problem. But to work together, to cover each other, and there's an overlap in departments where you're working together to make sure things get done. You are in your own lane, but you're responsible to, to take that product and make sure it's really good when you hand it over. And if it's crap, then you're taking ownership for it. And go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it was, it was interesting. I, I think you came up to me when I showed up a couple days later and a, a couple of your folks from that seven figure club had come up to me and said something along the lines of, wow, it was really neat how well your guys had, had adapted everything to our business and how well they knew our business and how well they knew the problems that we faced. And I kind of chuckled with you because that's what we hear all the time. We hear it regardless of the business that we're working with, whether it's a financial business, whether it's a construction business, whether it's a manufacturing business, whether it's an energy business, it doesn't matter what industry we're working with, the leadership problems that people face, the organizational problems that they face, the team interaction problems that they face, they're all leadership problems and they all require the same solutions. And so that's what we find all the time and that's why I think you know, the company Echelon Front has been successful and, and that's why the, the books that we've written have been successful because the, the fundamental principles of leadership don't change. Yeah, it, I, I agree. It was funny. And I even thought the same thing because I even knew, like I work with Dave ahead of time. We, we spoke on the phone for like 20 minutes beforehand and he didn't have a lot of experience flipping or wholesaling houses. It's business is business. You know, this, my, my business here running this podcast and running these events and, and bringing people in, it's more about building a company and a business than it is about wholesaling and, house, and flipping houses. It's not about the houses. It's, a, it's about people. It's a people business, whether it's our clients, whether it's our staff, whether it's anything, it's about the people. And when we do right by the people, our business is going to take off. And we build a business just like anybody else does. If I own a, I don't know, bakery or a, a, a merchandise shop, it would be the same. You know, it's about my staff. It's about the, the systems and the processes that we have and building that out properly. So, and then, and then the simple part was, we, we started digging into that and we did kind of a questionnaire at the end of the day to analyze ourselves. And I sat there in that simple portion and I looked at it and I said, sometimes I don't communicate enough. It's, I, I don't ask enough of my people. And then sometimes I overcomplicate it. I'm like on both spectrums of that. Uh, so I'm sitting there answering one to five going, I'm a one and a five. Uh, I'm definitely not in the middle. Maybe occasionally I'll hit that target. But for me, I, I realized that there is simple communications, but there's also a lot of times us entrepreneurs, we, we just show people the finish line and expect them to know how to get there. And we don't give them the, the necessary tools to get there. And then we blame it on them instead of taking ownership again. It all kind of comes back to that ownership, right? A lot of times I don't take ownership of that. I say, oh, this person just couldn't keep up. Well, your guys and you specifically, even talking to me up in the room, we're like, do you give them enough information? It's your fault. Ultimately, it's your fault. And you're right. It is my fault. So that was definitely eye-opening for me because I know that I do that. And still, I can't, I almost can't stop myself from doing it. It's just the kind of person I am. So I know that I got to put the right people in place that are on my team and on my management team that can do that. They can give them step A, B, C, and D 
because I need like, I got to give Nate step D and he's got to know what A, B, and C are to give it to the rest of the staff. Yeah. I mean, this is also overlapping with decentralized command because we want our subordinate leaders to lead. As I just said, we want everyone to lead. And then we don't want to micromanage them because then we're looking down and in instead of looking up and out. And that's a problem. So what you're saying is, and this is something that can happen, this happens with leaders all the time. So they go, okay, great, decentralized command. I'm going to tell the, tell the team what the mission is, and then I'm going to let them go do it. But as you just said, if I haven't given them the training that they need to, to actually make that movement and, and do that maneuver, well, then it doesn't matter that I told them what the mission is. They don't know how to get there. So I have to make sure that I give them the tools, as you just said. And then once I give them the tools, then I go, okay, yep, I see that you know how to do this. Cool. Now here's the mission. You can go make it happen. And then you get out of their way and let them do it because you've given them the skills to make it happen. Yeah. And I, it was, it was just so interesting. One of the things that the, some of the, the seven figure club members were saying were, well, Hey, you know, I, I feel like, okay, I get it. It might be my fault that, that this person is just not keeping up and okay. I d- might not have given them enough, but um, what if they're just like the wrong person? And I'm in my head, I'm just sitting there going, you put them in that seat and gave them that position and hired them. So it is your fault. It's still your fault. Even if you gave them all the tools, everything that they needed, and they were the wrong person, well, it's still your fault. You still need to take ownership because you put them there. You're the one that hired them and put them in that seat and said they, you thought they could get there. So whether they, whether they make it or they don't make it, it's ultimately always your fault is what I got from that day. And it's true. Yeah, true. And if you've put them there and they're not, capable at doing that job, then you have to take ownership of getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I was thinking about this with a client I was just working with. Most people, most people, they do have the capability. They need to be taught. They need to be mentored. They need to be coached. They need to be led. And, and, and then once you give them that support, most people, they can figure things out and they can move forward. And then occasionally you do have people that are just not capable of doing a certain task, a certain job. They don't have a certain skill set and they're not going to be able to do it. And then what you, the best thing you can do for them is say, Hey, listen, this is not for you. I've, I've given you everything that I can give you. And I don't, I have nothing else to invest in you. I recommend that you move on and I can't keep you here. So that's the best thing you can do. I mean, keeping someone in a job that they're not capable of doing is not the right thing to do for, for you, for your team, or even for them. Yeah. And, and you, I think you just nailed it right there for them too. Cause I've, there's been people in my company that they're just, they'll just hang on forever. And when you, when you let them go or you have that conversation with them and they're like, you know what, you're right. And they go on to be in that company that does fulfill them in that role that they fit, that that's where they need to be. They're the right person in the right seat in that organization. I've had people call me up and just say, thank you. Like, thank you so much for opening my eyes to kind of who I was and taking the time to care about me to care whether I was happy in this organization or not happy because some people will just continue to do the job that they're doing just to get the paycheck and just keep going down the path that they're going down without really being fulfilled. So what, what we've realized in, in our company is really putting that right person in the right seat to make them feel like they're doing something that they love, that they feel fulfilled, that they want to show up every day and do. That's where we get the best out, outcome from these people and they feel like they want to grow and they want to continue to, to do this. And when we've let them go, they've called me up and said, Hey, thank you. Like, I, I really appreciate you actually caring about me and not just being a cog in the wheel for your business to make more money. And I think as leaders, that's really where we hit the next level to get to the place where our people will work just as hard or harder for us than they would for themselves. And it's a team, team effort at that point. And they really feel it. Yeah, well, we had a saying in the SEAL teams, which is, if you take care of your gear, your gear will take care of you. Meaning, when you get done with your dive rig, you need to do the proper maintenance on the dive rig. When you, when you get done on a parachute jump, you need to take care of your parachute gear and make sure it's clean and stowed properly and repacked properly. Obviously, your, your weapons, your guns, you, you clean those things, you keep those things in, in absolutely top condition. And if you take care of your gear or your life jacket, that's where we started here. And it was, you know, we have these little uh, CO2 powered life jackets. You pull a little actuator and it would inflate the life jacket. And if it doesn't work and you need it, you're going to drown. So the, the saying was, if you take care of your gear, your gear will take care of you. And what I 
eventually translated that to as I grew up in the SEAL teams and moved into leadership positions was if you take care of your people, then your people will take care of you. So that is an absolute uh, statement of fact. Yep. I love it. I love it. The, and then prioritize and execute for, for me in our industry. And it, like you said, it, it goes across all of them, but being able to prioritize tasks and what's important. We have all of these closings, like we do anywhere from 30 to 40 transactions a, a month. And so my operations manager that does all the closing deals with the buyers and sellers and all that stuff, she's got to figure out if something is always going to go wrong. Like you said, it's always going to go wrong. And when it does, she's got to figure out where to put it on the stack. And she is, Ashley, you met Ashley. She is our sixth transaction coordinator in like three years. So we could never find someone who could really prioritize and execute. This is the number one skill that this person needs. And some people don't even think that that job should even apply in a company like ours. And she is phenomenal at it, being able to prioritize those tasks and in a position that it becomes, it's a huge puzzle. She's got to put together a giant puzzle every day. That puzzle changes. The, the pieces change, the, the location changes. It, it goes to crap every single day. There's a, there's a huge issue. So that prioritize and execute is the thing that she pulled out that she was like, oh, I got this. This is, my, this is my thing. And even going through like anything that I do, I find the people that I struggle with the most are the ones that don't know how to prioritize their day, prioritize their tasks, know what's important and what's not important and have to always, always get somebody else to, to tell them what that is. So really, I think that is one of the things in, in this industry and probably any industry, frankly. Um, and I, I, know, I know what you're thinking right now, probably, well, maybe I don't, but all of these are just as important as the others, right? But this one really resonates in my company of, that we have struggled a ton with is finding those people that really know how to prioritize tasks and the execution they're usually okay with. It's the prioritization that I find a lot of times that they struggle with. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you just said, you probably know what I'm thinking, they're all important. Well, they are all important, but in different industries and in different industries, in different companies within industries, there's different things that, that are, that they have trouble with. And it would be the same thing with a seal platoon. And it would be different, you know, just like a SEAL platoon doing a land warfare operation might have a problem keeping things simple. And, and that's what they kind of mess up. And that's where we, but then a month later, we're putting them through a block of training that is in an urban environment and they're having trouble prioritizing and executing. So within your company, it sounds like your company has a personality that where they, where they generally tend to not do as well as they could is in prioritize and execute. And that's good that you know that and now you can focus on it. That means you're probably doing well with decentralized command and you're, you, or at least you're, you're, you feel like you're doing well and that seems to be working okay. You're doing well with keeping things simple. You're doing well covering move for each other. So where do you start to see the problem? You start to see the problem with prioritize and execute. And in the type of mission that you're working, when you're doing 30 or 40 closings a month, like prioritize and execute is going to be a big one that you need to pay attention to. Same thing like in an urban environment when multiple problems are happening. If you don't know how to prioritize and execute, you're going to have some serious problems. So it's, it's no surprise that you have an area that you know you need to focus on. And I bet that you'll look up in a year or 18 months or six months and you guys will have kind of systematized some things and you've figured it out and you've got the people in place and they've been trained enough. And they've had enough experience now where they start getting really good at that. And then all of a sudden you're going to look around and you're going to say, you know what? We, we could do better with decentralized command. You're going to realize that there's some things get micromanaged. So you'll constantly be modulating where your focus needs to be on where you need to improve. But as long as you have that, that humble mindset and you are looking to improve, you're going to continue to get better and continue to grow. That's, that's awesome. I, I didn't think about it that way, that as you get better at some of these different laws of combat, that one other kind of pops up as the most important because it's probably showing your weakness, right? It's the place that you're, you're not kind of fortifying and tightening up that, that area. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I love it. So you, you know, this takes me back to aviation, this prioritize and execute. As you were talking, I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm a helicopter pilot. We always have things that change. Uh, a guy just ejected. I have to switch from a a CSAR mission to a search and rescue mission, or we're doing a logistics mission. And it turns into a search and rescue mission. I have to on the dime snap like that as the aircraft commander and go, I got 
what do I, what kind of assets do I have? Who's in the helicopter? What, what's happening? What do I need to change? And I just have to re change everything around, reprioritize everything that we're doing and just start executing on a whole nother mission. And we were trained on that to be able to like turn on the dime because the helicopter is kind of like in, in aviation, it's like, this, these guys can almost do anything, right? It, it, we need them. We need them on the ground. We need them to move troops. We need them to pick up somebody on search and rescue. We need whatever you need from a helicopter. It's, you can land anywhere. We can pick people up. So we're always kind of like the jack of all trades a little bit in the aviation community. And so we can, you know, take a nine line. We can do all kinds of stuff. So I think that's kind of where I'm just used to it with all my training and being able to do that very easily. So a lot of times what I do when I look at somebody who's not picking up that fast, I forget the fact that I have all this experience in it, like 15 years of experience doing that even before college and sports and everything else that I have. And they're just getting into this for the first time. And I'm, I have these really high expectations of people that I, I need to look in on myself a lot of times and just going back to it, take ownership of it and say, you know what? I didn't give that person the training or I didn't, maybe I didn't explain it because I just assume that they know how to do it because I do. So I think we fall into that a lot, especially as business owners, that everybody has the background and the, the training and information that we have. So anyway. Yeah. And there's, there's also people just aren't aware of it. And if they're not aware of it, then there's no way that they can do it effectively. And even I, I bet if you think about your career, Prioritize and execute, as you just said, is something that you learned. You you were doing it in high school sports. You, you then you became a pilot. You were doing it, but you, even when you were doing it in your company, you were doing it instinctually. It made sense, but you couldn't really wrap your. You didn't really even understand what you were doing. And then all of a sudden, you hear this name. Oh, prioritize and execute. You can go. Oh, that's what I've been doing for the last ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. Okay, great. And now you actually can look at someone else and say. Hey, when there's multiple problems, this is what I do. I prioritize and execute. You know, that, that thought process is what I had to go through to learn to teach this stuff to the young SEAL leaders. I was watching a, a SEAL platoon during a training mission, and I see that, that they're sitting there. They're trying to get a head count. They're trying to deal with their wounded guys. They're trying to figure out where the enemy fire is coming from. They're trying to figure out what decision to make. They, they're trying to contact the other platoon to see if they can get to, they're trying to do all these things at the same time. And none of them are happening, of course. They're all just kind of wandering around, working on little tiny chunks. And, and I just thought to myself, what do they need to do right now? They need, well, I actually said to myself, what would I do right now? Oh, I know what I'd do. I would get my team to suppress that enemy fire. That was what I would do. And I would make one call and everyone would do it. And then we'd have that enemy fire suppressed. Then I could say, okay, let's maneuver to a safer area. We have better terrain features to protect us. Okay, maneuver. So then that's the next thing we're going to do. And I said, so what, what, what do I call that? Well, you pick the biggest priority, you prioritize all these problems, and then you execute on them one at a time. And then I wrote down the words prioritize and execute. And as soon as I had that and formulated that thought into something that was, that I could just explain that rapidly, then it became that much easier to teach. And it even became easier for me to do because I was aware of what I was doing. So when you say that you read extreme ownership, you know, the thought that goes through, and it's not just you, not just people in the military, but business leaders, anyone that's been in a leadership position, usually they're not saying, oh, wow, this principle just came from an unknown place that I've never thought of this before. Normally they're saying, oh, yeah, that's what, I've, that's what I do, and I see it clearly now, and I can really understand what I've been doing for all these years that has that has made me successful. And I also see sometimes where I don't do it. And that's, that's, that's why I have problems sometimes is because I know what to do and I don't do it because I don't know what to call it. But now I know what to call it. I mean, it's the same thing with just taking ownership, right? You know, anyone in the military knows that you can't, knows, knows in their heart that it's wrong to pass the blame onto someone else. Everybody knows that. And everyone in the business world, they know that. And yet, until you hear that term, you might still occasionally, you know, blame something on someone else and, and, and you just let it slide because you're not, you really haven't codified this idea in your head. And so that's what I think has been really helpful for the books. And that's why I think they're, they're popular, not because we invented something new, but because we codified these ideas that people already had in their heads. And that's why it's easy for them to understand because they've been doing them in many cases. 
And so that's why I think it's beneficial. And that's why I think someone like yourself that's been in the military, been in business, you see these ideas and you go, oh yeah, you recognize them and now you can lock onto them and, and you can move forward very quickly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. As you're talking, I'm sitting here going, you're right. It is instinctual. I don't even think about it. And now, especially after Monday, after like the deep dive that we did, the full day training that I understand these, I feel like I, feel like I know them well enough that I could teach them at a, I don't know, 40% level to other people. But now I'm using, I mean, I was on a call today with my staff for this company, the seven figure flipping company, and I'm, I'm using the terms prioritize and execute. I'm, I'm saying decentralized command. I'm saying like, we're going to use these terms in the company because they're so easy to understand when you break them down like that. And we're making things really simple. And we're saying, look, this is, we're making things way too hard. Why are we making them so hard? Just simplify everything that you do. The communication line should be simple and using all of these and talking that way and using the terms, like you, just like you said, it, it pulls out the instinctual stuff and just puts it on paper and makes it really easy to understand. And you're right. That's why the light bulb went off for me. Nate is a, a previous um, uh, uh, law enforcement guy. So he was in law enforcement and he's, you know, been a, a football player his whole life, all this stuff, like really high achiever. And he's like, just like, Oh man, this is just, this is exactly what we needed. It's just, a, it's like a playbook that we can understand and read where it's not too many X's and O's for us. And we can go out and, and handle it inside the business. And, and it, like we talked about at, at the event, extreme ownership became one of our core values because of this. So like that means a ton to me. So uh, like, thank you guys so much for this. It's incredible. So decentralized command is the, is, is the last one I want to, we're going to touch on here, but that it, to me, that is so so powerful in the business that most of us have in this real estate industry. So the wholesaling and housekeeping businesses that most of my clients and, and my friends and my peers and my mentors have, it are a lot of virtual businesses. So we don't have a central office. I run a company right now. We do almost $3 million in profit this year. We don't have an office at all. Everybody works from home. Everybody is, we're all around the country too. I mean, my, my uh, chief marketing officer is up in Michigan. My, um, my uh, lead, lead intake people are down in Pensacola, Florida. We, we span the whole US. So having this kind of idea of this decentralized command concept. And then what I really loved about that was the leading up the chain of command uh, portion of it, where like you talked about earlier, our people are giving us feedback on how we're doing and leading us, even though we're supposed to be the leaders. It, it, that concept right there is why instead of me reading it and Nate reading it, I sent that book to my entire company was that chapter right there because I want them to be telling me what they need from me. And that was, that was, that blew my mind was so eye opening and really made me question a lot of the decisions that I had made over the last two years before I read it, because I feel like I was, I was doing the micromanagement. I was, I was asking for things that I didn't need to ask for because I didn't need them. So really good stuff. Yeah. The decentralized command. And there's, there's, there is a, there is a logic to the way that those uh, four laws of combat are structured and decentralized command is the last one because you, if you don't have prioritized and execute and you don't have simple, clear, concise, and you don't have cover and move, then you're not going to get to decentralized command. You have to have those things to have decentralized command. I mean, prioritize next to you. If people don't know what it is that they're trying to get done, then how can they go out as a, as a, as a subordinate leader and execute when they don't even know what they're supposed to be doing? So, and if it's not simple and clear, then they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And if they're not working together, then, well, we're not working together, moving towards a common goal. So that all falls apart. So decentralized command is definitely the, the, the last one, but it is, fundamentally the most important in an organization is to make sure that you do have decentralized command. Yours is a great example. You've got people disaggregated all over the country and they're, they're dealing with their world. And for you to be sitting in your home office somewhere, trying to, trying to predict and direct them on things that you don't have the same visibility as they do, that's going to end up being a problem. So we definitely want, our subordinates to lead up the chain of command. We want to, we want them to give us feedback. I always say the last thing I want for the last type of person I want working for me is a yes, man. That's just going to shut up and do what I tell them to do. I do not want that. I want someone that's going to say, Hey, Hey, Hey boss, why are we doing this? Or Hey boss, I, can you explain to me what it is you want done here? Cause I don't think this is going to work too well. Or Hey boss, let me give you a different option here because what you're saying doesn't make a lot of sense on the ground. That is what I, 
hope and pray for every day when I am leading a team that I have people that are smart, that are thinking, and that are going to step up and lead themselves instead of waiting to be told what to do. Yeah, I was, I, I remember about two or three years ago in my company, I'd have a quarterly meeting down in Pensacola and we were just, we were about a year in, we were doing just under a million dollars in profit a year. We, do, we did like 75 deals the year before, but I was running like a hamster on a wheel, just nonstop. And I was in the weeds doing it all. And I had this team that I, that I built out and I, I was really proud of my team. I was happy. We, we had gone from one deal the year before to 76 deals or something the, the next year, like amazing growth. And, but I was working so hard. And when I, when I looked around, they would always look at me for the answer. They, they, I, I would, and at that time I had kind of stopped listening to real estate podcasts and I stopped re reading real estate books and I started reading business books and listening to like biographies of other business leaders and podcasts on business to figure out how I could grow this company bigger and, and be a better leader and, and more focused on leadership. And at that time, I heard people say that they don't want, they want to be, they want to have a team around them that knows more than they do. That is, they're always looking to them to say, what do you think we should do? And they usually don't even have to ask. They just tell you what we should be doing. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, why is everybody always looking at me for the answer? Like, I'm the only one that knows. They're not growing in their role. They're not getting to the point where they're learning. They're out there training. They're trying to grow themselves. And I realized at that time that I was never, and this is before I read your book. It was before, I, I just, I knew that we would never get past where we are right now. And we can only get as far as I can take us. And I, I knew that we had the wrong setup. It was just that they were good people for where we were. But if I wanted to go to the next level, they just weren't the right people to go with. And I had to go figure out who those were. And I feel like it's a lot of it because they were, I would just give a task and they would say, okay, like, I'm just going to go do it. And sometimes they would do it almost like knowing that that was the wrong direction to go, but they were told to do it and that's their job. And they went and did it. It's just like you said, like the yes man. And that's not, I mean, a lot of people listening are probably like, I got somebody like that in my company right now. Well, that's a problem, right? You need to take ownership of that. You need to go out and talk to them. And that's what I had. And now we've gotten to this point where your book combined with a couple other things that we've been doing inside the company. When I look around the room now at my quarterly meetings, my sales manager knows he's 10 times better sales guy than me. And he knows what to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I've always been the guy that says, come to me with a solution and not a problem. But they have good solutions now, like really good solutions, better than me. And my, my marketing manager, she can run circles around me. I have no idea what she's talking about half the time. Uh, my operations manager, she can, she can do a puzzle better than me with 30 or 40 deals. I can't handle 30 or 40 deals a month. No way. She can't. And my lead intake manager, phenomenal. Like I hate talking on the phone. She's fantastic. She has all these ideas of data analytics and stuff like that inside of there. So that, I think that is the difference. That's like the game changer in business when you are the CEO of the company and everybody around you is higher level than you. And some people are afraid of that. They want to be the big brain in the room. They want to be the person who controls everything. And you'll get to a point, but that's it. You're not getting past that. Nope, you definitely won't get past that point. You're, you know, even being a SEAL platoon commander, you're not going to know the sniper weapons as well as the snipers do. You're not going to know the radios as well as the radio man does. You're not going to know how to work with explosives as well as the breacher does. And if you focus on that, here's the problem. If you focus, I always call it, look, if you're focused on looking down and in, well, then you're not looking up and out. And as a leader, you should not be looking down and in. You should be looking up and out. What's our next move? What's our next strategy? What's our next area that we're going to move into? What's the next market we're going to move into in the business world? Where do we need to expand in the business world? Where can we step forward in the business world? As opposed to looking down and in at my team and getting in the weeds on things. I mean, do you have to do that occasionally? Yes, you do. And I'm, I'm sure there's, there's days where, you know, your marketing manager comes to you and says, Hey, we're thinking about doing this, this, and this, and they need some guidance from you, some strategic guidance. Of course that's needed. But then as soon as you get done, you know, given that guidance, then it's time to look up and out and look forward. Now, what you have to be careful of, some people jump the gun on this. And, and what I mean by that is they start a business and immediately they want to hire a bunch of people to, to put around them. And, and the bottom line is they can't afford it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've run into that with a few small businesses where all of a sudden, you know, they're going from, from eight people, all of a sudden they got 32 people. They can't afford them. 
and they're saying, well, you know, I'm trying to build a great team around me. You, you need to be able to afford the team first. So just use a little bit of caution around that um, and, and grow as needed. Maybe, you know, you anticipate your growth a little bit and you want to bring, you know, some people on board a little bit earlier before you can, you know, before you know that they're about the, the, the demand signal is there. That's fine. But um, yeah, you absolutely need to eventually, you need to hire great people around you. You want them to be able to do your job better than you and their job definitely better than you. And that's how you end up with a, with a great organization. Yeah, I agree with that. I've seen it a lot in real estate, especially in this mastermind group that we have people that try to go from like zero to a hundred overnight and they just will go out of business. They just try to build their company way too fast. They are outspending their, their pace. They, they don't have the runway for it. They can't, they can't, they're not set up for six or eight months of marketing money with, uh, with the staff that they put on. They need to get these like deals in month one, month two to continue keeping the doors open. I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. And, and it, it was almost like they feel like since we have people in the group that are doing 2 million, 3 million in profit, then you jump in and you should be doing that right away. And really like you need to be taking that next step. Like for you, what does that look like? What's the next step look like? And things like that. And the, the team and the staff, for me, and I think every company is like this, it's your journey. You have to go on that journey. I had to be in that room at that time, looking around at those people who were looking at me to realize that I need to figure out how to get the right people around me too. I couldn't have hired, when I started this company, I could not have hired the best salesperson that needs to make $150,000 to leave their current job at a phenomenal sales position they have right now to come with me. I was this like, startup dream. I'm sitting there in Denny's with my first hire saying, I, I think that I can do this. I, I know a lot of other people that can do it. I'm really excited about it. Come with me. I'm giving her the vision of where we could go together. And she's going to have to take a leap to come with me. And then as we grew as a company, we kind of outgrew her and grew into the next person and then into the next person. So people come up to me all the time and they see Chad on stage and they're like, how can I hire Chad? Well, you haven't done a deal before. You cannot hire Chad right now. I'm sorry. Like he's not going to come. A Chad who is making $150,000 or $200,000 out in the real world right now is not going to leave their job and come work with you right now. You've got to figure out how to take those steps and build your company so that eventually you can start attracting the Chads and attracting the Heathers and the Vals and things like that. These people would not be working with me when I was the, you know, just building the business in the garage in day one. So... It's, and I, the other thing I think is you have to be a little bit humble to hit that too. Like a lot of people feel like they need to be that person, like that owner that, and they say they don't want to micromanage, but they, they want to be kind of running the show all the time and making the decisions and, and, and doing that stuff. You, you've got to be a little bit humble to say, you know what? I, I don't need to make that decision. Like my, I, I love, my journey was kind of like make more money then spend more time with my family. And now it's more about like impacting my staff and my people and seeing them do really big things and make more money. And some people in my company make more money than I do. I'm perfectly fine with that. Like, I love it. They're reaching their goals. They're doing, then they're out there. They're the ones out there working all the time. I'm, I'm in here doing podcasts with you and I'm, I'm having a, I'm having fun and spending like two, three hours a week in that company. And they're out there doing the heavy lifting. They should make more money than me. That's the way it should be. Yeah, no, that's, that's all really important stuff. And the, and the thing about, I think I talked this, about this when I did the Q&A with, with some of your team, is if you want to be in charge of everything, your goal should be to be in charge of nothing. And, and that sounds, you know, obviously like there's a big dichotomy there, but if you're in charge of everything and you're making every single decision, you don't have the co cognitive capacity to, to really be able to lead anything. So what you want to do is you want to build these subordinates, which goes about back to what we were just talking about. You want to build a, a team of subordinates that are, that, that are making all the decisions that, that you barely have to step in, that you barely have to give, give direction to because they understand what the overall strategy is and they're able to move there and make great decisions on their own and very seldom do you have to actually step in and, and give direction. You know, there was plenty of operations when I was uh, in the SEAL teams where I was a platoon commander or a task unit commander where we'd go out on an operation and the only thing that I would say on the radio would be execute, execute, execute. And as soon as I said that, the guys would go and do everything that they needed to do. They'd make adaptations, they'd make decisions, they'd make calls, they'd make adjustments. We'd get the mission done, we'd load the vehicles and we'd go back. And, and I literally would do nothing except for say, go. 
And that is the ideal situation. Now, did that happen every time? No. Sometimes something would go a little bit further off course than we had expected. And I had to step in and make some, make some calls. That would happen sometimes. That's fine. But that is the goal. The goal is to have your team so well-trained and understand the vision so clearly that they can move and execute on their own without your direction. And they're out there winning. I love it. I love it. So you guys wrote this book, uh, Extremely, uh, Extreme Ownership, and then you wrote another book after that. So why did you guys feel, the, like, feel like you needed to write The Dichotomy of Leadership after this book? So as we continue to work with companies after we wrote Extreme Ownership, you know, because that's what we do. We work with companies all the time. And what was interesting was it wasn't that the questions were about the dichotomy of leadership. It's that the answers were the dichotomy of leadership. So the dichotomy of leadership is the last chapter in extreme ownership. And it talks about this balance that you have to have. And you and I have already talked about it already on this podcast. You can communicate too much, which is going to be a problem because now people don't know what's important. They don't know what to listen to and they're overloaded with information or you communicate too little where people don't know what's happening. They don't understand your vision. They don't understand what the mission is. So where do you have to be? You have to be balanced somewhere in the middle. We just talked about it with hiring staff, right? If you go out day one and you try and bring on these people that cost you a bunch of money because you're being super aggressive on how fast you're going to grow, well, guess what? You're going to have your door shut in six months because you can't afford payroll. So don't do that. That's one extreme. The other extreme is you don't want to hire anyone. You don't want to take any risks. So you're just taking all the business and doing everything yourself. And now you're just looking down and in. You're not seeing which strategic direction to go in and you're not growing the way you should. So where do you need to be? You need to be somewhere in the middle. And that's the same thing with everything in leadership and everything in life really is you have to be balanced. And because that was the answer to so many questions, we realized that we needed to do a better job of explaining that to people and showing the different cases where this unfolds. And that's why we had to write the dichotomy of leadership. And, and interestingly, I mean, some people say that it's better than extreme ownership because they can get granular on how they're actually out there leading. So, uh, that's, that's, that's why we had to write it. Yeah. I, the, the default aggressive one for, to me was the best because Nate and I are both default aggressive to, we're pretty aggressive in what we want to do, the markets we choose, we go all in, we dive in head first. It's like, let's, let's just go and then we'll figure it out. And so that, that to me stuck out from that second book that I read is kind of, okay, there's a limit to default aggressive. You guys just got to be careful. And that, that interestingly, that is the first dichotomy that sort of registered in my brain as I looked at the information I was putting out to the young SEALs and telling them to be default aggressive, and then they would go crazy, and they'd run to their deaths on the training battlefield. You know, they'd be in a training operation, they would just charge because they were trying to be default aggressive. And so I realized, you know what, you can, be too, you can go too far with that. And then as I looked at every characteristic that a, a leader can have, if you, even if it's a good characteristic, if you take it to the extreme, it will be a bad characteristic. I mean, it will be a bad characteristic. Any, any good leadership quality can end up being a bad, I mean, even, even here's why I'm trying to think of the most, the, the most radical example. And because you and I were just talking about the importance of taking care of your people, can you, can you take care of your people too much? The answer is yes, because I've been at companies where the leadership cares about their people so much that they keep staff on board that they can't afford and they end up running the company in the ground. And now it's not just 12, you know, it's not just 122 people that lost their jobs. It's now 1200 people that lost their jobs because they didn't make the right decisions because they cared too much about the people. So every leadership characteristic that you have, you can go too far with. And that's why, Again, learning how to balance these dichotomies of leadership is so important. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, we had to restructure the commission payments that we made to our sales team because the company just wasn't making money. And if the company's not making money, hey, I don't care how much you love your commission, when the doors are closed, you're not gonna have a job. So yeah. we had to go back and say, we, we structured this commission structure based on the marketplace three years ago. And the marketplace is very significantly different. It costs us a lot more to find houses. We spend a lot more on marketing money right now. We need to tie this all together and figure out how to, how to do it. And so when we did that, we had one person who was like, I'm not taking a pay cut for the company. 
I'm going to, I'm going to go. And the other person was like, yeah, let's figure it out. What does it look like? Why? And he understood why. And we went through it all. And that guy's our sales manager now. Like he's managing all the team and he's making a lot more money by doing that. And so when we, we saw, we can kind of see who the team players are, who's in, who's out, who's taking extreme ownership and who's not. And all the people who are like, yeah, I totally get it. I see it now that you lay it all out. And I'm up front with, Hey, the company, it's not me. It's the company. I, I don't need to make, the company needs to be profitable to stay in business. And in order to do that, everybody on the team has to play in that game. It's not just about me. It's not just about how much money I'm making. It's to make sure that we're all uh, team players. And that really showed who the team players and who weren't. And anytime we restructure the company or do anything that feels a little uncomfortable to people, that's where you really see the true colors of everybody else too. And you see who's really, who's really in, who's really taking ownership and who's not. And I feel like right now, anything that happens inside the company, we got to this point where we've kind of built it off these concepts, off this book and, and we're with our core values and everything else that we've been able to solidify. And we built a team around us that takes ownership. So any changes that need to be made, we're doing it as a team that we're restructuring it together and they all look at it like a real company. It's not just Bill on the top trying to make a lot more money. So it's really amazing to see what can happen when you put all of this stuff in place and you get the right people around it that also exhibit that same value of ownership and extreme ownership. So, um, so, Hey, I just bought some, I just bought some other books. You got some of these other ones too. So can we talk about those real quick? Cause I I'm excited to get these in the hands of my little guys. Yep. Yep. Uh, wrote a, wrote a, I've written a bunch of kids books and, and there's a fourth one that you don't have there. The first one, the first three are called way the warrior kid. The next one's called Mark's mission. And the, and the last one is called where there's a will. These are a series of books about a young kid that starts off the first book. He's in fifth grade at the end of fifth grade. And he's facing the kind of problems that kids face. He doesn't know his times tables. So people think he's dumb and he kind of thinks he's dumb. He can't do any pull-ups and so people make fun of him in the, in, in the recess area because he can't do any pull-ups. He doesn't know how to swim. So when they go on their class field trip, you know, they're making fun of him because he doesn't know how to swim. And then he's got the, the big bully, Kenny Williamson, that's picking on him. And it's just, it's just, he's just not a happy kid. And he finishes that school year, last day of school, all this kind of comes down on him. He's sad. And, and he's crying on his way home from school. And then when he gets home, he remembers that his uncle Jake is coming to stay with him for the summertime. And his uncle Jake was in the SEAL teams. And so his uncle Jake, his uncle Jake talks to him and says, Hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? You want to go for a, you know, you want to go play basketball? You want to go for a swim? What do you want to do? And he says, well, you know, I actually can't swim and actually I'm not good at sports and actually I'm dumb and I'll get picked on. And he starts crying and uncle Jake looks at him and says, Hey, you know what? All these problems are problems that we can solve if you're willing to work and you're willing to commit. And if you want to do that, we'll turn you into a warrior kid. And that's what it's about. He spends the summer working out, eating right, learning jujitsu, learning how to study, learning how to swim, and it transforms him. So that's what it's about. And then the, the next book is a different kind of bully, a different situation, different problems. And it just, it's life lessons that, and I'll tell you what, and you, if you've read them, you know this, these life lessons are not just for kids. These are for adults and, and, and um, they're, they've been very well received. And that's one of the most rewarding things that happens to me now is when I get, you know, letters and messages and emails from kids all over, all over the world that are on the warrior kid path. So that's really cool. And then I wrote another kid's book for a little bit younger age called Mikey and the Dragons, which is about a, a kid that's kind of scared of everything. And he, you know, he's scared of the dark and he's scared of bugs and he's, he's scared of everything. He's scared of the water. And he finds a book underneath his bed that's about uh, a young prince that lives in a kingdom where the king has died and no one in the kingdom wants to face the dragons that are over the dragon hill and protect the kingdom from these dragons. And when the king dies, like it's, it's left all on this young prince who's seven years old. And he's scared. He doesn't know if he can do it. But he goes to his father's room and opens up his father's war chest. And he pulls out the shield and he pulls out the sword. And they're kind of too big for him. And now he's even more scared. How he's going to fight dragons when he can barely pick up this sword. But then he finds a note at the bottom of the war chest that's from his father, the king. And explains to him what he needs to do. And that he needs to stand up and go face the dragons. And he assures him that the dragons will be not the threat that he thinks they were, they thinks they are, and that 
the real fear is inside of his head. And so he reads that note and then he goes and faces the dragons and you've got to read the story to find out what happens. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you said that it's not just, uh, it's not just like lessons and tales for kids. And you're right. These, these are phenomenal books to read to your kids, to spend time with them and, and talk through the lessons and things like that, because you're right. Uh, there's, I know a lot of people that could read these and take a lot from them. So no doubt about it. And so I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my cousin, Joey. So uh, on the podcast, he, um, I read, he wrote me a, a letter that I, I read on the last podcast because I just, I interviewed a guy. We did the last podcast I did. We had a, um, uh, we had a survey that we sent out after the flip hacking live event and we had people fill it out and they got a coaching call. We we're going to pull one uh, that could win a coaching call with me. So I coached a guy on, on the last podcast we recorded and ended up putting it out on a podcast. And I read this because this young 22 year old wholesaler reminded me of my cousin, Joey. It was like he was a 40 year old soul and this guy is going to succeed. He's going to win. He's going to excel in life and business, everything. He just reminded me of my cousin, Joey. So I read this and in here it says, my, my cousin said he was a little skeptical about missing, missing school to attend an event in which I would feel inferior to other highly educated individuals in regard to real estate investing. And he said, however, I'll never forget you telling me that you always want to be the dumbest guy in the room. Plus, I knew I'd get to see Jocko, if nothing else. <laughs> and then it goes on to talk about how, he, how much he got from it and, and all these things. So um, yeah, I know that you know, it, was a, it was a dream of his to meet you. And I'm just honored to be the guy who was able to set that up. It's really cool. Uh, and the time that you spent with him um, backstage kind of answering his question, his very thoughtful written out questions. He was up in my room at like 6 a.m. that morning, writing them out in that book and asking me, do you think it's okay if I ask him this? And what about this? And should, I mean, and then I went down because I had a breakfast to go to at 7 a.m. He was still up there till eight o'clock in my room. Just, he spent two hours writing those questions and really thinking about it. So really cool to see like you get to know you at the event and, and see, um, see you spend time with people and just be so open and, 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 willing to give your time and, and sit down with somebody. My cousin's 18 years old, for those of you guys listening, goes to UT, wants to be a Navy SEAL. He's got a lot of things going on in his head trying to figure it out. He's a, he's a planner. He's, he's very driven and motivated. And he is this warrior kid. Like that's, that's who I look at him as. So really cool. So I just want to say thank you for that and spending time with him. It was awesome to see that. So yeah, great to meet him. And it's always for me, uh, you know, the most gratifying thing is thing that happens in my world is to be able to help people out. And so talking at your event, meeting all your troops, meeting, meeting him, that's just, that's great for me. And that's, that's what makes it all worthwhile. So I appreciate you having me out there. Absolutely. One more thing before we go, I just pre-ordered another book of yours um, this week. So can, do you want to take a minute to just talk about that one? Yeah, so I got another book coming out January 14th, and it's called Leadership Strategy and Tactics. And what it is, is, you know, you teach someone the principles, and people, even if they understand the principles, sometimes it's hard to take those principles and drill down and actually apply them in the field. So Leadership Strategy and Tactics talks about how you actually handle situations on the ground. How do you, how do you, how do you adjust someone's mindset when their confidence is low? How, how do you bring their confidence up? How do you adjust someone's attitude when their, their ego is out of control? How do you actually handle that? How do you handle a boss that's trying to micro, micromanage you? How do you handle, how do you handle when the morale of the troops is low? How do you build the team's uh, pride up. How do you, it's like, actually, how do you apply everything that I talk about in leadership on a ground level? Just to give you an indication of what it's like, it's, well, it's 300 pages, but it's like 85 or 90 chapters. So it's these really short, Hey, what do I do when I have this problem? How do I solve this problem tactically on the ground? What strategy should I use? That's what the book is about. And I think, you know, from the feedback from, that I've gotten from the folks that have read the, the, the early drafts of it, they're saying that this is going to be the most helpful book I've written for people when it comes to leadership. So looking forward to getting out there and providing more information and trying to make sure that people don't have to learn the lessons that I've learned the hard way. 
Well, I look forward to getting it. So I got it. Uh, hopefully it gets delivered right on the date. So I'm ready for it. So hey, I appreciate all the time that you spend on all this stuff, you, you know, delivering this content and knowledge out there on your podcast, on, in these books and all the things that you're doing, you're really making a difference and, and changing lives. And it's really amazing to see everything that you did and the, you know, all the time that you spend in the military and a true hero there. And then now what you're doing in the business world is really uh, impressive. So uh, thank you for doing what you do. Thanks for coming on the podcast with me. So Jocko is a member, an honorary member of the seven figure club. So he got one of the military coins that I created for the seven figure club at the event. Um, so we, uh, everybody was good with that. Also at the event, he, I gave him an hour to speak and he ended right on time. It was like, boom. And he goes, yeah, I got it. Boom. And so he, I said, this will be an hour. This is an exact hour right here. So I'll make sure that I go right on the second and we don't go over. So thank you so much for spending the time with me. I know that my listeners are going to get a ton out of it. This is really amazing. It's a, it's just an honor to kind of share the microphone with you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.